0: The Lord be with, you. And also be with you. Lift up your hearts. It is a great joy this morning to welcome you to Marsh Chapel whether you are here in person listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR or over internet signals at wbur.org or listening later to the podcast at bu.edu/chapel. This second week of our annual summer preacher series we welcome again to the pulpit this morning the Reverend Dr. Ken Carter, Senior Pastor of Providence United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his greetings as he is away in these summer months, and we look forward to his return in August. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather in this Gothic nave in awe and reverence, we come seeking to know God, that in the light of one who knows us most deeply, we might come to know ourselves. That is to say, we come seeking our vocation, that which we are called to be and do in the world. We would catch a glimpse of a vision of that way of being to which we are invited out of an infinity of paths and possibilities. But how can we see, how can we know, if our vision is clouded and we deceive ourselves? As we pray in silence during the singing of the Kyrie, let us confess our wrongdoings and missteps, and offer them to God, in whose light we may see light. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 28. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him so that he might come to have first place in everything for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him god was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross and you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: join me in verses from Psalm 52 with the Antiphon. O Mighty One, of mischief done against the godly, all day long you are plotting destruction. Your tongue is like a sharp razor, you worker of treachery. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking the truth. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear, and will laugh at the evildoer, saying, See the one who would not take refuge in God, but trusted in abundant riches, and sought refuge in wealth. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because of what you have done In the presence of the faithful, I will proclaim your name, for it is good. Brothers and sisters, please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the
3: reading of the Gospel.
4: of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." And as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of the Lord. Lord We call the story that Jesus tells the parable of the talents. Talent is an unfortunately misleading word. We think of a talent as a skill or an ability. When we think of talent, we think of athletes like Serena Williams or reaching farther back, Ted Williams, who was always my father's favorite baseball player and it just feels right to say his name in Boston. Or we think about poets like Mary Oliver and Billy Collins, or musicians such as Alison Krauss or Bono or Ray Charles or Yo-Yo Ma. Or maybe we think of someone who is known perhaps only to us. She does this well. He is good at this. In the ancient world, those listening to Jesus would have known that a talent was the approximate value of 15 years of wages, a substantial sum of money. In the story, a man goes on a journey and gives each of the servants a gift. One receives five talents, one two, the last servant receives one. Each is entrusted with something that is significant and each receives a different sum. The distribution is neither even nor fair. Like other stories that Jesus told, the workers in the vineyard, for one, where everyone is paid the same but for differing amounts of work, this is not about fairness. It is in reference to a gift that we do not deserve or earn. The gospel, someone has said, is not good advice, it is good news. And so we begin with grace, not with law, with gift, not obligation. We begin with an appreciative inquiry into our assets, our strengths, our talents, or to frame it theologically, we reflect on the provenient grace of God. The resources belong to the steward, the master, who goes away, and the servants are left to work out for themselves what they will do with these gifts. The church that I serve has had the blessing of being in the country of Haiti for the past 30 years in a partnership and a friendship. There's a medical clinic. We remember that Jesus was a healer. There is a school. We remember that Jesus was a teacher. There's an emerging microcredit partnership, and Jesus is a part of that as well. For two years, a young man named Jack from Haiti lived with us. He is now a college student. My wife, Pam, and I would often talk with Jack about Haitian proverbs. One that I came across went this way. God gives, but does not share. And so I asked, Jack, what do you think this means? God gives, but does not share. He chose his words carefully as he always does. Then he spoke. God gives us everything, but we have to work out How to distribute it for everyone. God gives, but it is up to us to share. On a hillside in the Galilee, a young child had a basket with five loaves of bread and two fish. These were the gifts of God amidst a hungry gathering of seekers. Send them away, the disciples advised Jesus. But he responds, you give them something to eat. God gives, but does not share. That's up to us. When Christians gather to celebrate the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving, with the bread and wine placed on the table, we say these words, Let them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. It does help to remember that the gospel transforms the world. Indeed, that the gospel in the language of the Magnificat of Mary has already transformed the world. This is the gift. The wisdom in the beautiful proverb that Haitians tell each other is that everything is a gift from God. And yet God leaves the details of distribution up to us. God gives, but God does not share. The gift belongs to the master, And these gifts are God's to give. I do know this. From the perspective of the world, this planet that we share with six billion people, all of us have received a very generous harvest of talents. Warren Buffett commented recently to someone who had made a fortune You're not a genius. You were just born at the right time and in the right place. And Malcolm Gladwell in the book Outliers notes that most of us who are successful are grounded in a web of advantages and inheritances, some deserved, some not, some earned, some just plain lucky, but all critical to making us who we are and so the master gives why does one receive five and one two and one one the master gives to each according to her ability sometimes we're ready to receive a gift and sometimes we're not Jesus told other stories about this as well. Some were invited to a party, but they declined. I'm too busy. Please ask me again. Others were invited. Please keep us on the guest list, but for now we cannot accept. Please ask us again. The Master gives according to the receptivity and ability of the recipient. As Augustine said, God is always trying to give good things to us but our hands are too full to receive them. The story goes on and a story does need to move on and we shift our focus from the master who has now left the scene To the servants. We move from gift to response, from blessing to responsibility. In the same way that the talents are not distributed uniformly, the responses are also not all alike. The one who is given five doubles her share. The one who is given two doubles the portion as well. The third servant, the one who receives one talent, he buries his in the ground. At some point, a great time later, the master returns to settle the accounts. There will be a judgment, an accounting that we will give to the one who is the giver of all things. And this is a recurring theme across the three parables in Matthew 25. Call it an audit. Why is that? Because the talents originally come from the master who wants to know how it has gone. To the one whose five talents become ten, the master says, Well done. To the one whose two talents have become four, the master says, Well done. To both of these servants the master says you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You've been faithful over a little. It's interesting that five talents, 75 years wages, two talents. 30 years' wages is described as a little or a few things. It's also significant that two of the servants respond with creativity and faithfulness. In the way the story gets told, we do dwell on the third servant, but the first two multiply their gifts. And the master says well done. Now the third servant. He comes before the master and offers a justification for his behavior. Why he buried the talent in the ground. I knew you were a harsh master and I was afraid. What we think about the Master, what we think about God, shapes what we will do with our gifts. And what we think about God shapes what we believe about human nature. Here is the crucial question. Do you think people are basically selfish and stingy or generous and gracious? If you think we are basically selfish and stingy, then giving is a great challenge. It's unnatural to give. I have to manipulate you to get you to do something that is against your nature if you're going to be giving. But Christians believe that we have been created in the image of God. Which leads to another question, what is God like? I knew you were a harsh master, and I was afraid. This is a common stereotype about the Christian God. A harsh master who inspires fear, That is a flawed understanding of God. The New Testament teaches us that God is love and that God's love casts out fear. This response also indicates an equally flawed vision of our neighbor. One of Jesus' most memorable parables was inspired by a simple question Who is my neighbor? I mentioned Jack, who is a native of Haiti. As we mark the six month anniversary of the earthquake in Port au Prince, Jack is a reminder to me that the Haitian people are our neighbors. Jeffrey Sachs, an economist at Columbia University, reflected recently on the general question of how Haiti is doing and what needs to happen next. And he focused more specifically on the question of development in the nation of Haiti. He noted that Haiti has been plagued by a development policy that has not matched the aspirations of the people, and for this reason, it has failed. Factories were built in one city, Port-au-Prince. And when the capital market shifted, the resources dried up, the jobs disappeared, and the people became destitute. Jeffrey Sachs noted that Haiti is in need of a development policy that matches the aspirations of her people. What are those aspirations? They're the same aspirations we would have for our children or grandchildren. Education, food, health, and I would add the gospel. In prior centuries, when missionaries went into the countries of the world, they were often allowed in because they had these skills. A medical doctor or a nurse, a teacher, an agricultural specialist. On a mission field, these resources would often make the difference between life and death. Last Sunday in the New York Times, a development worker was interviewed and she commented about the state of Haiti six months later, I wish all of these aspirational plans would become operational. Brothers and sisters, we who live in North America in the 21st century reside in a mission field. Many do not have access to basic education, really, or to food on the weekends if they are poor elementary school students, or increasingly to health care and many find themselves spiritually hungry. And our response has often echoed the disciples of Jesus' day. In so many words we say to anyone who will listen, you give them something to eat. As we engage with the parable of Jesus, we are called to reflect on our own gifts our talents, our abilities. And if we will do that, we will become more aware that we are grounded in a web of advantages and inheritances. I recently came across a sociological study in which 50 people over the age of 95 were asked one question, If you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? If you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? There were three common responses. I would reflect more. I would do more things that would live on after my death and I would take more risks." What would you do differently? That is almost the question the Master asked the servants when he returns. To share our gifts is to take a risk. As Christians, we know that our sharing is grounded in relation to one Who has shared deeply and profoundly with us. In fellowship with one who loved the world so much, he sent his son to be the world's savior. That is the risk of the incarnation. The aspirations that our Creator has for us in the Word made flesh have become operational. At a basic level, our identification with this God implies that we take on the name Christian in baptism, which says less about our own merit or goodness and more about our awareness that all that we are and all that we have and all that we aspire to be is a gift it is grace and our identification with this God implies a risk that we take for the sake of others we open our baskets and share the bread and the fish we open our homes and welcome the stranger we open our table to all who hunger and thirst For justice and righteousness. As followers of Jesus, we take our web of advantages and inheritances and we extend them, Howard Thurman would insist, to the disinherited. Now, this parable does conclude on something of a downer. In the outer darkness, with weeping and gnashing of teeth. It would be possible to gloss over all of that, to ignore it. It's such a stark ending. And yet it may be the storyteller's way of getting our attention, keeping us awake. There is so much at stake. It is a question of life and death. Our gifts, our talents, your gifts, your talents, your financial resources, your abilities have the power to bless or curse. They can be instruments of light or darkness. God gives. This is the good news. But God does not share. God leaves that up to us. To you and me. Let us respond to the gospel. Let us give. And let us enter into the joy of our Master. Amen.
1: in a time of prayer I invite you to stand sit kneel or come to the altar rail if it is your tradition to do so now let us join together with the choir in singing the call to prayer lead me Lord Boston University community especially remembers the life and work of Franco Serena, who passed away this week. We pray for his family, colleagues, and students. God, grant them your comfort and peace. Let us pray. Christ, through whom all things were made, sustain all creations. Christ, exalted in the lowest and the least, give us humility. Christ, present in the poor and the oppressed, fill us with compassion. Christ, forsaken in the hungry and the homeless, minister to them through our hands. Christ present where two or three are gathered, be known among us. Christ, present in word, sacrament, and sign, grant us peace. Give us, we pray, gentle God, a mind forgetful of past injury, a will to seek the good of others, and a heart of love, That we may learn to live in the way of your son jesus christ through whom we pray amen let us pray in the words that our savior christ has taught us our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses
0: peace of the Lord be always with you. It is good once again to greet you this day and uh, to uh, invite you to join me in giving thanks to Ken and his ministry among us last week and this and his preaching of the word and um, we hope you'll join us again next week for uh, the continuation of our Summer Preacher series would invite you to uh, put your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you, you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the week. would invite you to keep in touch with ongoing activities on the Marsh Chapel website throughout the year, bu.edu chapel, and you can find there also the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. generous and loving God, source of all good things, grant that these gifts may be used to improve and enrich the community around us. Help us to be good stewards of all that we have received from you. This we pray through the power of Jesus Christ and in the presence of the divine spirit. Amen.
4: Go now in peace to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Bear witness to the love of God in this world, so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous friends. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever.